I haven't been up here in a while, and I'm, I'm so glad to share the uh, message with you. Um, actually, this, I've been thinking about uh, this kind of message for a while before Pastor asked me to, to speak about um, six or so weeks ago. Um, I, uh, you know, these days I, I'm having a hard time sleeping, and when I, when I do that, I'm, I'm just up like this. I think a lot about different things, and about six weeks ago, I had this very strong impression, and, and the three words that came to my mind was, war is coming, war is coming. It just kept coming into my mind about six weeks ago. And when it comes like this, I've had strong impressions in my life. Like one strong impression is when I was praying to God about whether uh, my wife was the, the one for me to marry. And the, the second impression that I had was when I, had, um, I, I was praying for another child and God impressed me, you're going to have a daughter. And so then like when I take these impressions and they come to me, I take them very seriously. And so, so this, this, this war is coming situation, it was so, um, it, it made me very nervous and anxious and sweaty. And I was like, why is this, you know, why am I thinking about this? And then and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And, and so I woke up the next morning and um, I started getting, I started going a little crazy. I'm like, you know, if war is coming, then I got to start preparing. And so I started going on Amazon. I'm like looking up a Geiger counter. Like, you know, if it's going to be war, it's going to be nuclear war. And I'm going to like, you know, where am I going to, like, I have to sell my house. I got to go to the mountains, but it can't be too high. I talked to Cheryl, like nothing grows up there. So I got to go kind of like a mid-level, like, but it's got to be high enough, you know? And I'm just like, I'm like looking up, you know, houses on, on Redfin in like these remote areas. And I, I'm just like, and, and, and the biggest thing that I did, I mean, this was a huge thing, which was my, all of my retirement, I took it out of the index and I just packed it into commodities. And I'm like, oh, you know what? We're gonna have, we're gonna have some insecurity in terms of commodities, basic commodities. I took it all out and I parked a large sum of money right into that. And that was, I, I, I am not an investment advisor, advisor and I would not suggest what I just told you to do. But I did that. Just to tell you how serious I was, um, I was just, I took it, I truly believed that something was awry, and I, that's what I did. And then I told Jamie, and I'm like, listen, I'm, there's a lot of things that I'm thinking about these days. I can't afford an RV, so I got a next best thing that's called a roof tent. It's pretty cool. It goes on top of the car. I've researched portable power machines with, with, um, with uh, what do you call, solar, huge solar panels so we can, like, power different things. It, it was just getting nuts. And, and, and Jamie, bless her, she's, she's listening to this, and she doesn't judge me. She doesn't discount me. She just says, let's just take it one step at a time. Let's just take it one step at a time. And I thought that was beautiful. I'm like, uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, let's, let's just see what happens. And um, then, you know, of course, the, the, the invasion, uh, the war happened there, and I'm getting a little bit more antsy. And, um, and then I start to do some searching. I, do, I start to do some searching for... Um, 
in Scripture. And this is the message. This is the product that came out of it. And I was pleasantly surprised at uh, what God had showed me. And uh, uh, if you can put up the slide here. Um, today's message is about the end game. It's kind of ominous, isn't it? The end game. And now the reason I put this uh, picture up is because in, you know, about, I don't know, six months ago, my son became kind of interested in chess. And I know nothing about chess. But I got him a, ch a, a chess board with, with a bunch of pieces. And he's like, you know, he's, he's like, you know, what does this piece do? What does this piece do? I'm like, I don't know. So I'm like looking online. I'm like trying to figure out like strategies of how to, you know, teach him how to play chess. And, and he's, he's not bad. He's like, you know, he's, he's starting to get the rules. And I, I found out that in chess, in the game of chess, it could be divided into these three different uh, periods, I guess. The first is the opening where you, um, you develop your pieces and you try to control the middle of the board. Uh, the, the second part of the chess is called the middle game. And the middle game is where you attack and you defend and you sacrifice pieces for, you know, to, 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 to get to your ultimate strategy. And the last part of chess is called the end game. And there are many, many books written about the end game because it's where you have your, you know, your king and three or four pieces that surround that king, and that will determine um, the moves that you make during this very critical time will determine whether you win or lose or draw. And so there's a lot of strategy involved. And anyway, today I want to talk about God's endgame for his people. And you might, you might think... Is, is that written out? And I'm going to present some evidence for you that um, is pretty clear to me that this is the end game for God's people. It's, it's, it's so clear. And um, the two chapters um, that we're going to be discussing is, uh, uh, is Revelation chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 24. And each provide for us uh, some similar information and some unique bits of information. And what we're going to do is we're going to put these two chapters together and put them where they coincide to try to get a clear picture of God's endgame for his people. So that's the first part uh, of the talk. The second part of the talk is, what is our response to knowing that information? Like, how do you respond to that? What, what are you supposed to do with that information? So the first part is the end game. What is it? If someone asked you and you could say, this is what it is, it says it clearly. You can believe it or not believe it, but this is what it says. This is the end game. And the second part is, what is your response to that information? Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you so much, Lord, for this time. You know this, is, this message has been in my mind. It's been, I've been thinking about it and ruminating about it, Lord, and I just pray, Father, that you, your voice may be clear, that you may speak, Lord, to the individual circumstances of uh, the lives here. 
and that you speak to us, Lord. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 6, the context of the seals, you might be wondering, um, if you can get this slide up, please. Uh, oh, sorry, before we get there, um, the end game actually starts in Daniel chapter 12. Before we get to Revelation chapter 6, in Daniel chapter 12, it says, um, you know, this is the last chapter of Daniel, and it's gone through a lot of prophetic things were said in the previous chapters, but it says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not been happened from the beginning of the nations until now, but at the time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes will sleep, and the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And this is the key here. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Next slide, please. The context of Revelation chapter 6, the seals, is found in Revelation chapter 5 and 4. And the context of that is that there's this big ceremonial scene in if you read chapter, Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, everyone is there. All the angels are there. The 24 elders are there. The four creatures with the, with the, with the four different faces are there. And they're worshiping. It's a big, big scene. And it just so happens, it says, that, and John is seeing this, and then I saw on the right hand of whom was set on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the, seals, uh, uh, break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside of it. And this is, John is looking at this situation. He's like, this is, this is so sad. No one can open the scroll. No one can do it. And it's sealed. There's an actual physical seal on it. And of course, of course, it says here in verse 6, in verse 7, oh, sorry, not in verse song. Weep not, in verse 5, excuse me, Revelation chapter 5, 5, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to lose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And so the question comes out, like, who can open these seals? And everybody's sad. Then all of a sudden it says, don't worry. One of the elders says, don't worry. There is a slain lamb that can open the seals. You look at that and you're like, of course it had to be Jesus, right? But what does Jesus look like? Jesus looks like a slain lamb. And you're thinking, this is exactly who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't come to you with, with power or with might. He doesn't tell you, you gotta believe in him, you gotta do this. He comes to the individual as a slain lamb. Slain lamb 
is there that he can break each seal. Now, one key to understanding the seven seals before we go in there is that one thing that is absolutely necessary that you understand is that the seals, when it says seal, there is a double meaning here. Seal as a physical seal on the scroll. And when you start reading the seals, it, uh, when the seal is broken, it elicits a cascade of events that results in the sealing of God's people. Let me say that again. There's an actual physical seal on the scroll. But who breaks that seal? It's Jesus. And when he breaks that seal, it leads to events. In the end, if you, if you read this, uh, 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 the, the Revelation chapter 6 and the seals, the end of that, in between the sixth and seventh seal, is the sealing of the 144,000 and the sealing of the great multitude. Everybody with me? This each event that is elicited, in other words, leads to God's people being sealed. Being sealed. And that's, that's key. So that's, that's the context of Revelation chapter 6. The context of Matthew chapter 24 is a little bit different. You know, I know we have all read Matthew 24. I have read Matthew 24 so many times. And when, honestly, when I, uh, before, when I read Matthew chapter 24, when it talks about the signs of the ends, I always read it like it was a laundry list of things happening during the end times. I'd be like, okay, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And I didn't necessarily associate that sequentially or chronologically. But once I started to intersect Matthew 24 with Revelation chapter 6, it started to sound very sequential to me. And Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. And the order is intentional. And the context of Matthew chapter 24 is that he's coming down from the mountain after praying. And his disciples see the sanctuary and the city. And they're looking at how wonderful it is. And they're saying, look at, look, Jesus, look at how beautiful the sanctuary is. And Jesus says, all of these things, everything that you see is going to be destroyed. In fact, it's going to be worse than that. In the very end, the sanctuary is going to be desolated. It's going to be desecrated. It's going to be laid waste. Then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going to happen? And then he starts proceeding. He starts proceeding with the signs of the times in, in, in Matthew chapter 24. That's the context of Matthew chapter 24, which is the sanctuary will be destroyed. And he, and, he, and he starts listing off these things before this is going to happen. Okay. All right. So let's go. Uh, next slide, please. If you look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 3. Now, I'm not going to go into the first seal. The first seal is when it is broken, it is a white horse. And uh, the reason I purposely took that out is because a lot of people think that the first seal has to deal with the first time Christianity went out. It is a white horse, and that conquering aspect has to deal with the sealing of God's people when Christianity initially was, was, was uh, w to win out. I'm going to start with the second seal, and, um, 
And it says here that when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. The rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So if you look at the second seal in Revelation chapter 6, basically it's war. It's war. And if you look at Matthew chapter 24, it says the same thing in verse 5. It says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still yet to come. The third seal is a black horse. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Some of you might be confused what that exactly means. Um, but a lot of people think that has to deal with you can only earn enough for a day. You know, a lot of people, when we earn a paycheck, we, can, we tend to be able to pay for ourselves for way more than a day right? It's, it's, it's not a situation where we have to worry about food the next day. But this is a situation, it seems like that one person can only work for a day's wages, which seems that there is some food insecurity. And so I think, you know, to, to sum this up, you would think there is some famine and some food insecurity. And lo and behold, that same language pops up in Matthew chapter 24, the very next verse, it says, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of birth pains. So the second seal, war. Third seal, food insecurity, famine. The fourth seal, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked, there was a pale horse, its rider was named Death, and Hades was followed close behind him. There was given power of the fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague. So the fourth seal is that a lot of people die. And they die from war, from famine, and from plague. Now, let's, let's go for a moment to think about, again, the point of the seals. And I... And I, and I, and I want to give you evidence that the sealing, these events have to deal with the sealing of God's people. When I came to think about um, the state of the world and the end game and that war was coming, all I wanted to do was protect myself and my family. As I started to read these seals, it became very apparent to me that God's people are dying. They're dying from famine, from war, from food insecurity. They're experiencing all these things. And more importantly, if you go to the next slide, in the fifth seal, the fifth seal, it says, I saw under the altar of souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called with a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe and they were told us a little longer until the full number of the fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. It became very apparent to me, these events that are happening are situations that enable 
the sealing of God's people. But the sealing of God's people doesn't mean that your life on this earth is preserved. It became very clear to me that in the end game that God outlines, it's not necessarily true that, he, that your life on this earth is saved. But your life is saved in the next. And I realized I missed the point when I was looking up Geiger counters and solar panels for my own family and portable power units just so that I, I could, you know, protect myself. I realized that's not it. That's not it. If you read the seals, it's not that God has outlined this to protect your family. He has outlined this so that you can stand firm despite those things happening. Persecution is the fifth seal. And persecution is also outlined in Matthew chapter 24. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated of all nations because of me. And what's really interesting about Jesus is that the very end of that, it says in verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I had always read that verse out of its context. But if you read it in context, especially with the seals, you understand that the gospel being preached to the ends of the world is closely tied to persecution. And that makes sense because when, gospel, when gospel, the gospel started to spread in our first century Christianity because of persecution, that's in our history. So it's not just people like going out because they want to go out. It's people being pushed out because they're being persecuted. That's the fifth seal. The gospel being preached to the world, in other words, is closely tied to persecution. Then you have that verse. Then you have that verse that Jesus says, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through Daniel, let the reader understand, flee to the mountains. This verse right here, abomination of desolation, I've spent a lot of time thinking about and a lot of time trying to understand what this verse is. It feels like that is a very momentous, that's like a very pivotal verse, right? Because if Jesus says, go to the mountains, if you see this, go to the mountains, you're, I'm like, okay, what is this? Because this is what I need to know. What is this? And I was very surprised in my initial study that this verse or this phrase, abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel in the sanctuary is not in the book of Revelation. You're not gonna find it. And I thought, out of all books that you can have the abomination, you'd think that pivotal one would be in Revelation, but it's not. Instead, Jesus interjects it in Matthew chapter 24. And if you follow it chronologically, it happens after the fifth seal, which makes sense why it would happen this way. Now, this sermon is not about the abomination of desolation spoken of by in, in, the, in, the, in the holy place, but to just give you a clue and an idea of what this phrase has come to mean for myself, 
if we understand that in Paul's writings, it says that you are the temple of God, that there is no longer a structure now that we go to to meet God, but God, because of Jesus and what he has done, and because of the Holy Spirit that, that is given to us, we are now, we have the capacity to have God's spirit in our mind. That the sanctuary, in my mind, is here. And so now you can think about what that desecration means and the desolation of that means. The ability for this mind to worship is taken away. It's a scary thing to think about, actually. But Jesus interjects it here after the fifth seal. Next slide, please. The sixth, the sixth seal is, as I watched and opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. And the figs dropped from the fig tree were shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a stroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. That's Revelation chapter 6, verse 13. And Jesus says the same exact thing sequentially. Again, in order, verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Amazing. Jesus was intentional about the order that he was giving in Matthew chapter 24. Again, when you read Matthew chapter 24, you think it's just a laundry list of things that are just kind of out of place. You know, this thing will happen, this thing will happen, this thing will happen. But if you follow it sequentially, it follows exactly this order found in Revelation chapter 6. Now, these cosmic events, this, the sun will be darkened, this is a scene that Isaiah saw. It's a quote from Isaiah. And Jesus is quoting there. And it's again, John saw. So Jesus saw it, Isaiah saw it, and, 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 and John saw it. These similar things. And this is the sixth seal. The sixth seal is, uh, uh, is a cosmic event, and it's, it's very scary to think about when you think about the sun turning black and, and the stars falling from the sky. Next slide, please. And just to give you an overview, again, the seven seals starts like the white horse that conquers. The second seal is war. The third seal, famine, food insecurity. The, third se uh, the fourth seal um, excuse me, is death, killed by sword, famine, and, and, and earthquakes. And uh, the fifth seal is persecution. And I have added here, after persecution, the gospel is preached to the world because of that persecution. The abomination of desolation is set up. And then the sixth seal happens, those cosmic events. And then if you read what happens in between the sixth and seventh seal, like I said, it's the sealing, again, that second meaning, of, uh, of the 144,000 and the sealing of God's people. And that, that, I believe, is the end game for God's people. And I keep saying the end game for God's people because it seems like there is a different end game for people that are not God's people. Just like the seven churches and the seven seals in Revelation was for God's people, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls seems like it's not for God's people. The reason I say that is because just like this, 
the seven seals where there's this huge event that happens in between the sixth and seventh seal that I said gives evidence for the that is evidence that the seals mean, those events mean that it has to do with the sealing of God's people. In between the sixth and seventh trumpet, there are these two witnesses that come about. And there's John who, who, who eats a, a scroll that is sweet and then bitter in his mouth. The end of that is that people don't listen. If you look at the witnesses and you read the story of the witnesses between the sixth and seventh trumpet, People are very um, angry about the witnesses, the two witnesses that God sends to them, and they're happy, and, they're, and, and, and they get killed, basically, between the sixth and seventh trumpet. It's, it's sort of a judgment. It's, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a time of, 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 of things that happen, and, but people don't actually come to God. It's the exact opposite of what the seals does. Uh, next slide, please. And here it is, and, it, and, 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 and this is what it says in Matthew chapter 24, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the, all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. Look at this language here in Revelation chapter 7. It says, and this I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or sea. And then I saw another angel coming up from the sea, having the seal of the living God, and he called out with the loud voice of the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and said to the sea, do not harm the land until all God's people have been sealed. See, it's similar language. In Revelation chapter 24, it says, you know, he loosed all the angels from, from or gathering from the four winds. In Revelation, those angels are holding the winds back until God's people are sealed. And then it says in chapter 8, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets. Again, just like in Matthew 24 where it says um, the, a loud trumpet call, it says, I saw seven trumpets were given to them. And this is the beginning of the seven trumpets. And this is where, you know, you can read about the seven trumpets and what they mean. Next slide, please. And this is just like a very brief to the seven trumpets. I'm not going to go into the seven trumpets, but basically the seven trumpets mirror the seven seals in a sense that there's a big event, again, in between the sixth and seventh trumpet that gives you a clue to what the trumpets mean. Um, next slide, please. So, we just talked about an end game that God has written about. War, famine, food insecurity, death. Um, from there, uh, uh, persecu uh, persecution, the spreading of the gospel to the ages, the abomination of desolation, and the cosmic events, the sixth seal, and the sealing of God's people. It's written out there. What is... What is um, what is your response to that? What do you do with that information? And initially, like I said, when first I thought about uh, these type of things, I, need, I thought, man, I need to protect my family. I need to perfect those, uh, protect those that I love and doing those things. But upon reading the seals, I realized that God's people, they are, they are actually dying being sealed in God. 
They, they suffer famine. They suffer hunger. They suffer persecution. And of course it makes sense because, you know, the early disciples and the early forefathers, they suffered hunger. They suffered persecution. You know, Paul, he went to prison. He was stoned. He was beaten. But all those events just made him, just sealed him more. He was sealed, but he went through those events and he stood firm. And I realized, you know, it seems like we are on the precipice. Our world is on the precipice of something. And we could just, it could just turn and we could just go on to our regular lives, uh, you know, and it could just be all the same. Or it can turn a different way and things could be dramatically different. We don't know. But the point is, it's not to know those things. The point is for us to be ready. You know, two, two months ago, I was, uh, um, I went through a very, like, kind of like a growth experience. Um, and it was in a way that I didn't expect. I was, uh, I, I turned 40, which was, yeah, <laughs> turned 40. And in my mind, I thought, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. I'm just gonna go out with a bang. This is the top of the hill, and after that, it's the bottom, right? So it's just like, I, I'm gonna go out with a bang. And I had this great idea of what I was gonna do on my 40th birthday and, and, and all these things. And um, so, so when the time came, um, uh, my wife, you know, she, she was saying to me, and, and, and she's like, you know what, I'm trying to get everybody uh, to, 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 you know, come and to do this event, but everybody's really busy and um, they, can't, they can't come and it's, it's you know, the things are happening. And so I'm like, oh, that's fine. We can just, you know, we can just hang out, you know. And I, I, I had actually invited my parents to, to, to come um, to Portland and um, we had agreed that maybe we can just do something small, me and Jamie, like we, we got a hotel, we're gonna, we're gonna go out to dinner, we're gonna spend time together. Now, um, to tell you just a little bit about my family, um, my parents and Jamie, um, there's a, uh, my, well, Jamie feels very anxious around them. And, 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 and I knew this sort of on a cognitive level, just like, yeah, you know, they feel uncomfortable with each other. But I really didn't know it on an emotional level. And um, it's mostly my fault because I, I, uh, I allowed such an environment to persist, which was uh, uh, she wasn't exactly sure of her place when my parents were in town. She should be number one, of course. She's the head of the household. But she didn't feel that way, and she didn't even know where she, was, where she stood. And so she felt very anxious about it. And see, I didn't know, I didn't get it. Like, I kind of got it here, but not really. And so on that Friday before my birthday, I said, um, hey, can I just go and, and do what I want here? And, and leave you with my parents. And she said, I feel really, I don't, I don't like that. You know, I feel very anxious. And, and she's trying to explain this to me. 
And, and I said, I mean, it's, it's like my birthday, the one day that I could go out. I should, I should be able to go out, right? I mean, and then this, you know, things were said and more things were said. And eventually, we got into this huge argument and it threw every one of those plans up in the air, the hotel, and, um, and then eventually, like, let's cancel everything. And it, it got very emotional, and we just, we just split. And I was like, this is the worst birthday ever. And I was just like, this is terrible. And, and, and I had, um, there was this plan where we were all gonna hang out together, um, which a bunch of people, and um, I just kind of, let's, let's not hang out all the, together. I'm just, I'm just going to hang out with the guys. I just need to, like, talk to them. So I, I you know, we caught some guys together, and, um, you know, Conrad and Wilson and Steve, and we all kind of, and Jason, we all kind of went out. And I kid you not, from the moment that I met them, um, I'm a Debbie Downer, and I'm complaining I'm like, this is my birthday, and she don't let me, and all these other things, and I'm just complaining, 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 and these guys, bless their hearts, what I didn't tell you is what my wife didn't tell me, is that for two months, she's been, she's been preparing a surprise birthday party for me, and it wasn't that weekend, it was a week after. And she, at, any point, any, at any point in time of this argument, she could have said, do you know what I'm doing for you? <laughs> do you know what I'm doing for you? Do you know all the things that she invited all these people, and it, she invited them to a white party, the very party that I just, I thrive in, the very thing that I wanted. And she had prepared that, for two months, and I didn't know it. But these guys that I went out with, they knew it. And so you can imagine from their perspective, I'm complaining, and I'm just like talking about all this stuff, and like, oh, I can't, you know, as a husband, like I can do this and that, and, that. and then they're just like, and they were silent too. They didn't say anything. They were like, but as the night wore on, you know, I got, I, I started to, they started to say, you know, Conrad, I don't know if you, some of you don't know Conrad, he's a very tall gentleman, and um, he, he, for some reason, you know, when I met him, he just sat down and he was just like, had his big arms folded over like this, and now I know why he was like this, but he was just like this, he's like, what you doing? Apologize. <laughs> because he knew what was going on. Right? And, and anyway, the whole time there, everybody's saying, yeah, you should probably just apologize. <laughs> and I'm like, but what? And I'm just, I'm, I, you know, and I think it was about, I don't know, it took me way too long, about 1.30 a.m., I think. And finally, I'm like, I texted Jamie, and I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I, I messed up. And um, anyway... This happened, and that was the weekend of my birthday. The next day, we had a, it, was a, it was a relatively great time. I, I, I uncanceled my cancel, and we went to, my, we went to a hotel. We had a good time, um, we just, and, and we had dinner. And then, and still, I didn't know what was going on. 
And then the next week, like Jamie's like, oh, there's a lot of things that I got to do. It's Sarah's birthday. I mean, she had to create a narrative, a story behind the real story and figure out, okay, get everybody involved and say, listen, 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 let's pretend it's Sarah's birthday. And so that that way he doesn't suspect anything. And then meanwhile, on that Sabbath, she's like faring, you know, back and forth to create this great atmosphere at Dan's house. And then, so I kid you not, when I showed up on that Saturday night at Dan's house and everybody's wearing white and it's a white party and I realized this party is for me, I'm just like, I was shocked. I was completely surprised. And then as the night wore on, I began to realize, like, where's everybody's kids? What, what, what is every, how did, like, what, how did everybody get together? Like, Wilson sleeps at 8 p.m. at night, if you know anything about Wilson, and he's there, right? I mean, you don't know, but he keeps his sleep really religiously, and he's there, and he's wearing this white sweater and these white sweatpants. I'm like, where did you get those? Like, Amazon. (laughs) I mean, everybody got involved, and I was just, it just dawning on me, man, the production cost of this event on the behalf of everyone is great. So many people have sacrificed so many things to be in this moment. And behind all of that is is my wife. And I felt so much warmth. And I said, this is grace. It's undeserved. I don't deserve this. This is the very definition of grace to feel this kind of love and this warmth. And I said, wow. And so I grew from that experience. It was not something that I expected. Um, and, and, and more importantly, behind my wife's love, I saw God's love. Moving in the lives of these people in the community around me, to get them to the right place, in the right situation. Um, I mean, just to give you a little tidbit, uh, I found out that Ellie bleached Steve's shirt, hand bleached, to get it white enough. (laughs) I mean, who does that? And I'm just, the gravity is not lost on me. And I think about all of that and how undeserved I was in that present moment. And I realized that this is the very key to the ceiling. Jesus is a sacrificial lamb that opens those seals. The image of him is self-sacrificial love. If you want to be... prepared and ready for these end times. You have to give and take this kind of love in a community. Now, I don't know if this community right here in this church is the one for you, but if you have called to be in it, I invite you to lean in and to experience the warmth of this love you will be a better father, a better husband, a better son, a better friend 
Love ennobles us. It makes us better. It makes us honest. It makes us true. It helps us to stop being selfish. It says, I'm sorry. It says, I messed up. It says, my life is full of grace. I have more to give. It says all of those things. And when you're bonded in a community like that, there is nothing that can shake you. There is no event, no famine, no war, no persecution that can move you from where you are. You can say, I can die right now if you are filled with that love. That kind of love is so strong and so warm. It elevates you and it seals you. The last verse that I have for you is found in 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence. We will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of war. You don't have to be afraid of persecution. You don't have to be afraid of food insecurity. If you have this love in your life and in your family and in a community, you can withstand anything and your life will be sealed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak here. Lord, you have overwhelmed us with your love through the hands and feet of people around us. I just pray, Father, that you help us to lean in, lean into the relationships around us, to our own immediate families and also into our church family. Help us to lean in with this love, Lord, that will seal us, O oh Lord, for the things to come. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.